Well, good morning, everybody. Happy 2022. Yay. Happy 2022. <laughs> we were excited about 2021. It turned out to be a little bit too much like 2020 for our liking, so we're all a little bit cautious. I get that. It's happy. I'm on? There I am. So we have been at our church for the past, this is the fifth week, I guess, we have been talking about the tabernacle. And, you know, you might ask, why have we been spending so much Fucking cutting in and out. We good? Okay. Well, why have we been spending so much time talking about the tabernacle? And, you know, when you think about the book of Exodus, because really what we've been doing is walking through Exodus 25 through 40, which is where... Uh, the biblical author gives us this kind of detailed description of all the materials and the design and all the construction for, for the tabernacle. Um, we've been walking through that and talking about it. Well, it, why have we been spending so much time talking about this? Because if you think about Exodus, you know, if you grew up in the church and you think about the book of Exodus, probably the first thing that comes to your mind is not the tabernacle, is it? Like, what comes to your mind when you think about Exodus? Part in the Red Sea, the Passover, the Ten Commandments, stuff like that, right? Well, but do you realize that by chapter 12 in Exodus, the people are already on their way out of Egypt, okay? They're, they're, already, they're already leaving Egypt by chapter 12. And I'm, remember we said a few weeks ago, a few months ago, one of the ways the biblical authors tell us, hey, this is really, really important, is what? Is they spend a lot of time talking about it. So when you see that there's, you know, a few verses on something, okay, well, I mean, everything in the Bible is significant, right? But, okay, but if you see that there's a whole chapter on something, well, you better pay attention. With the tabernacle from Exodus 25 through Exodus 40, there's 15 chapters devoted to the tabernacle. And then if you really take into consideration the whole book of Leviticus is about how you get into the tabernacle, there's, there's even more, right? So the reason we're spending so much time talking about the tabernacle is because the Bible spends so much time talking about the tabernacle. And the reason the Bible spends so much time talking about the tabernacle is because the story of the Bible, like the central theme of the Bible, it's not about parting oceans, it's not about killing giants, it's about God doing whatever it takes to make a way to live together with his people. Right? Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. That God doesn't quit and he doesn't settle. Right? That he's gonna do whatever it takes so he can live together with his people in the intimate, close relationship that we were made for. And that's what the tabernacle is about, God coming to live with his people. And so if you, so is the, yeah, so right now, you look at the screen there. We started off this series by talking about the Garden of Eden and saying that originally in Genesis 1 and 2, God's people, we lived together with him, Adam and Eve, in the garden, and they were naked and unashamed, so not just before each other, but before God. That it was a place where they, they were walking with God, they were having conversations with God, they were sharing meals with God, they were, they were with God and there was no guilt there was no fear and there was no shame. And it was awesome. But then because they sinned, they got kicked out. 
And ever since then, what we've said is that you can take the boy out of the garden, but you can't take the what? You can't take the garden out of the boy. You can take the girl out of the garden, but you can't take the garden out of the girl. That deep in our DNA, deep in our bones, we have this longing to be where we were created to be, which is in the presence of God with no guilt, with no fear, with no shame, having that intimate relationship with him in his place, in his presence. What we saw is that, you can go to the next one, what we saw with the tabernacle is that the tabernacle is so significant because generations and generations and generations go by, and then Exodus 25, God comes to his people and tells them to make him a tent. And this is a tent where God is going, this is gonna be God's tent in the middle of the people's campground where God's going to live together with his people. And everything about this tent, the reason there's so much detail about it is because everything about the tent from the, from the orientation to the furniture to the decorations, everything about the tent is designed to remind God's people of the Garden of Eden. And God's telling them that I haven't given up on you, I haven't given up on the garden, I haven't given up on being together with you and enjoying that intimate relationship with you, okay? And the garden, and the, the tabernacle, it was great. I mean, how cool would it be if God's your neighbor, right? That's pretty cool. He's right in the middle of the campsite. But we saw, and you can go to the next slide. What we saw with the tabernacle, and then you got the, the Eden and, and, uh, and quotations? I always say hash marks or hashtags, quotations. We got Eden and quotations because it was kind of Eden, but it wasn't like Eden 2.0. It was like a diminished version of the Garden of Eden. Because back in the Garden of Eden, God's people were with him every single day, no guilt, no fear, no shame, no barrier, having face-to-face -face conversations with him. But with the tabernacle, only one man, the high priest, only once a year, like Matt was talking about, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, could go in to the throne room, could go through the veil into the throne room in the most holy place and spend just a few minutes with God. And God said, that's not good enough. And so we, we ended our time a couple weeks ago saying, if only there was, and it sounds silly to say, but if only, because the tabernacle's so awesome, but if only there was a better tabernacle, if only there was a better high priest. I mean, how could that even happen? How could that be possible? But if only there was a better high priest. If only there was a better sacrifice that would allow God's people to truly have Eden 2.0 instead of just that kind of bizarro Eden or whatever, whatever that was, the one guy once a year for, for a few minutes. Well, as we talked about on Christmas Eve, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the better tabernacle. Jesus is the better sacrifice. And Jesus is the better high priest who fulfills all of these things that Eden is pointing to, that the tabernacle is pointing to, that the priesthood, that the sacrifices are pointing to, right? What I wanna do now, because I feel like this is such a powerful truth um, and I don't think there's really any way I could kind of describe it or like a, a metaphor I could come up with 
to, to make it more powerful than it just is. And so I wanna do something a little bit different right now. What I wanna do is I, I, wanna take, I wanna take several minutes and just read a few different passages of scripture. Okay, I, I just wanna read, this will, take, this will take maybe four or five minutes, um, but, but I encourage you to really, to really pay attention, to really, really dial in and to really listen to these words because I'm gonna read from, from several different scriptures that are talking about Jesus as the new tabernacle, as the new sacrifice, and as the new high priest. As I'm doing that, I want you just to, you know, if you're, a, if you're an auditory learner, you can, you can close your eyes and just, just visualize what this would have been like, okay? If you're a visual learner, um, let's put the, oh, here we go, yeah, we got this. So this is kind of a visual depiction of what, it means that Jesus is the better high priest and Jesus is the better sacrifice and Jesus is the better tabernacle. So what I want you to do for the next four or five minutes, just close your eyes or, or look up at this, at this diagram and just listen very carefully to the words that the Bible says in describing who Jesus is and what that means for us. Okay, so I'll start in John chapter one. This is John chapter one, verse 14. So let, me, let me just say a quick prayer first, just that God would give us open hearts to, to really be changed by his word. God, we, we come to you and we know, we know that your word is powerful. It's more powerful than anything that I could ever say. And so I just ask that you would give us ears to hear. Show us the, the beauty and the wonder of what you're doing and what you're talking about in these passages. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter one, this is verse 14. And the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 29, the next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed in Israel. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. In Matthew 27, verse 45, now about 12 o'clock noon, there was darkness over the entire land until about 3 p.m. And about 3 p.m., Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. When the centurion and those who were with them keeping watch over Jesus 
saw the earthquake and what had taken place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Hebrews chapter four. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Hebrews chapter nine, but when he, as Christ, appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not the one made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In Hebrews chapter 10, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his own flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen? So do you see what's happening here? Do you get what's happening in this, in this picture? Does that make sense? You know, um, so Jesus is the high priest, and the high priest offers a sacrifice, right? They'd offer a lamb and they'd offer a goat. But Jesus is, is who? He's the lamb of God, who not just covers over the sins of the world, 
But what? He takes away the sins of the world. And when Jesus, who comes to tabernacle with us, who is God in flesh and blood, walking around in the midst of his people, just like God and Adam and Eve used to walk together in the midst of the garden, when the flesh and blood God, Jesus Christ, when he comes to earth and he offers his own blood as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, when he offers that on the cross, something amazing happens. When he is the high priest, when he goes into the throne room of God, and remember, what is there separating us from the most holy place? There's the veil or there's the curtain. And when the high priest took the good sacrifice, those two cherubim, those two angelic warrior guardians that guard the way to God's throne room, they would part to let him in. But what happens when the great high priest offers the great sacrifice and comes in to God's throne room? The curtain tears. It rips in two. From top to bottom, there's no more curtain. So there's nothing separating us from God's presence. Nobody is like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone looking looking out, looking in from the outside, thinking, oh, I wish I could have a family like that. Nobody is like that because there's no longer any separation between us and God. Isn't that cool? And what I want you to notice here is, is one word I wanna pick up on for a little bit. In Hebrews chapter four, it says, well, because we have this high priest, we should do what? What does it say we should do? Does it say, oh, because you have a high priest, so try to be a good person. Is that what it says? What does it say? It says, since we have such a great high priest, we should approach the throne of grace. We should approach the most holy place. And how should we do it? We should do it with confidence. I love this word, confidence. When I think about confidence, I think about, I think about my daughter, Ruby. Um, and, you know, Ruby is, she is, you know, I talked about my daughter, Rose, last week, and I'm talking about Ruby this week, not because, not because I'm trying to say that our family is great or whatever. I'll give some bad examples of, of me as a father in a second. Don't worry. Um, but, but because the Bible uses, this is the language the Bible uses. God is our heavenly father. That whoever receives him, whoever believes in his name, he gives the right to become not just the hired helpers, but the sons and daughters of God. So when we use these family pictures, that really helps us understand God's heart for us, Right? So when I think about confidence, I think about, about my daughter, Ruby. And Ruby, when, when I come in the door, Ruby will just, she will just run up to me. And she is right at that height, that height, where that can be a little bit dangerous, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and, and she'll just run up to me and she'll just throw her arms around me. And, and, she'll, and I'll pick her up in my arms and I'll just hold her, and if I try to put her down, she's like, mm -mm, and she doesn't want me to put her down. 
And when she, when she hears daddy come in the door or mommy come in the door, she has confidence. Let me ask you a question. Why does she have confidence? Why do you, what do you think her confidence is based on? Do you think she's thinking, you know what? Oh, let me think. Yep, this morning I brushed my teeth. I made my bed. I cleaned my room. I ate all my vegetables. So check, check. Oh, I can go see daddy. Is that what she's thinking? Do you think she's thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to read or I'm doing this or, or, you know, daddy, I'm gonna go see daddy because one day I'm gonna, I'm gonna become this great astronaut or this great, you know, millionaire or, or, or whatever. Is that what she's thinking? No. Why does she have confidence before me? Is it because of her or is it because of me? It's because of me. That her confidence is in the fact that she knows that I love her and that I'm gonna be good to her. And so it doesn't matter. She might have been a little hellion all day. She might, she might have just, you know, pooped in her pants. <laughs> and she's gonna come running up to daddy with confidence because she knows that daddy loves her. Right? And that's the way that God feels about us. I wonder what your attitude is before God. Do you have confidence? When you think about God right now, how do you feel? How would you describe your attitude when you come before God? Would you say you have that confidence? Not that arrogance of, well, I had a quiet time this morning, so I'm better than that guy, so yes, of course God's gonna hear my prayers. I'm not talking about that. That's arrogance, not confidence. I'm talking about confidence. Do you, do you feel that in your heart? God loves me. God is listening to me. God is here with me. God is gonna help me. Is that what you feel in your heart when you come before God? Or do you feel fear? Do you feel shame? Do you feel guilt? Do you feel indifference? Oh, dad's home, yeah, TV's on, so what? How do you feel? I was talking to Angie Crystal a couple weeks ago and she was just reflecting on this idea of God as our father and we have this unrestricted access to God and what she said is, I hope I never lose the awe in my heart over the fact that I can just come directly and talk to God. I hope that never gets old to me. You know, if I'm being honest, and I guess if you're being honest too, sometimes that gets a little bit old, doesn't it? Sometimes, you know, dad's coming home and, you know, there's, there's Pokemon on or there's, there's something on and we're, you know, we're not as excited to see dad, right? I hope we never lose that awe that we can literally be in the presence of God. Well, I wanna transition here. And we've been talking a lot about some pretty high-level theology, haven't we, for the past, the past few weeks. Talking about the tabernacle, talking about just you know, some parts of scripture, some connections that maybe, I don't know if you'd kind of seen made before. But I wanna really try to land the plane in the next few minutes as we think about the tabernacle, what does this mean for us in the trenches? What does this mean for us in everyday life? Because I, I don't think, I mean, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't guess that 
when you're at work or when you're with family or wherever you are tomorrow morning, you're gonna be walking around thinking, oh, the tabernacle and oh, the menorah and oh, the veil is put. No, you're, you're worried about your job. You're worried about your, your family. You're worried about your health. You're, you're, this, the, the cares of, of life. That's what, and, and it's, it's normal. You know, it would be weird if we, if, if, I don't know, like if it's time to make dinner and, and I'm like, oh, but I can't make dinner because the tabernacle is just so, so it's not as if we're supposed to just do nothing but, meditate on scripture, we're also supposed to, to, to act, right? So what does this look like? What does this look like in the trenches? Well, let me say this. Every one of us here this morning, or if you're listening or wherever you are, everybody has, you have something in your life that you know you should do. You have something in your life that you know you should do but you also know you can't do it. Everybody has something in your life right now, you know you should do it, but either you're afraid you can't do it, or you don't think you can do it, or you've tried to do it and you haven't been able to. Maybe it's a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's trying to get in better shape. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's trying to connect better with your kids. Maybe it's trying to connect better with your spouse. Maybe it's a, a struggle with, with lust or with pornography. Maybe it's something like, you know, when we talked about a few weeks ago, wanting to be a church characterized by open Bible, open life, and open faith. Maybe you hear us talking about open faith, about sharing the message of Jesus with other people, and you think, I could never do that. Oh my gosh, I mean, talking to, sharing my testimony with my neighbor, I don't think I could ever do that. Maybe it's that, but whatever it is, we all have something that we know we should do but we also don't think we'll be able to do it. Does that make sense? So let me give you three ways, three ways you can approach this, okay? There are three ways you can approach this thing, and two of them are the bad ways, and then the last one we'll talk about is, is, is the good way. It's the way the Bible teaches us. Three ways we can approach this. The first way we'll call the way of the garden. Okay, the way of the garden. The way of the garden sounds like this. It sounds like you better not screw up again or you'll get kicked out. Better not screw up, you better not do that again or you're gonna get kicked out. Think about the garden. You know, they're with God, but then they lose it because they screw up. You better not screw up again. You know, God's been patient with you so far, but you're on his last nerve and it's about to break. Better not screw up again, or you might get kicked out. I remember I talked to a, a Muslim man one time, and it was so interesting. He told me, he said, you know, Ryan, the, the, the main difference between your religion and my religion is that as Muslims, we don't have a sacrifice for sin. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So, so I asked him, you know, what do you do? How do you, you know, what comforts you? And he, said, he told me this. He said, you know, for, for me as a Muslim, this is what he was telling me. I, I'm not saying all Muslims think this way, but this is what he was saying. He said, whenever I am tempted to sin, I, and sometimes I'll do it physically, sometimes I'll just think about it, we'll take out a, a lighter. He didn't smoke. You know, as Muslims, they, they didn't smoke. He had a lighter with him. He would take out the lighter and he would, he would light it and he'd do this. And put it right up to his hand. You know Why? He would remind himself, that's what it will be like one day in hell if you don't resist this temptation. 
better not screw up this way again or you're gonna get kicked out. That's the way of the garden, and that's living in fear. The second way is the way of the tabernacle. The way of the tabernacle sounds a little bit like this. It sounds like you better try harder because what you're doing right now is not good enough. You better try harder because what you're doing right now, this just ain't gonna cut it. If you think about the tabernacle, what do they do? It's, they take their, their most righteous person, he washes himself, he cleans himself up, he puts on his best clothes, he gets his best offering, he offers it to God, and then he goes in and hopes for the best, <laughs> right? I hope it's good enough. If it wasn't, well, you know, we remember what happened to those two drunk teenagers, right? <laughs> you don't want that to happen to you. So you do your best, you go in and you hope for the best, right? I hope it's good enough. The way the tabernacle says, I better try harder so that I can be good enough, so I can clean myself up enough, so I can offer something that's good enough, I can do something for God that's worth enough so that he'll let me into his presence, so that he'll help me, okay? This is characterized by a lot of shame. We spend our, our time thinking about, I spend a lot of time thinking about, oh gosh, if only I could if only I could just blank. If only I could just read my Bible more. If only I could just pray more. If only I weren't just such a blank, right? Then God would love me. Then God would start to use me. Then my life, then I'd start to be able to experience abundant life. Okay, that's the way of the tabernacle and it's characterized by shame. Well, I want you to turn just very briefly with me. I want you to turn with me to, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter six. So I want us to see, I want us to see um, how Paul talks about this. How does Paul approach those things in our lives that we know we should do or know that we should not do, but for some reason we can't stop doing it or we just can't make ourselves do it or we can't make ourselves do it consistently? This is what he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter six. Verse, I'm gonna start in verse 18. In verse 18, it says, flee sexual immorality. All other sin a person commits outside the body, but sex, the, sexual, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body, okay? So there you go. Sexual morality is really bad. It's, it's, it's really damaging to yourself and to others. Run away from it, right? And every religion would agree with that. We might have different definitions of sexual immorality, but, but every, every religion, every person, no matter how you define sexual immorality, thinks we should flee from it, right? But here's the question. This is what makes Christianity unique. Why? Why should we flee sexual immorality? Why should you try to get closer with your kids? Why should you read your Bible? Why should you, you know, do whatever that thing is that God's calling you to do? and also how. This is what makes Christianity unique. Because he doesn't say, you better not screw this up or you're gonna get kicked out. And he doesn't say, you better try harder because what you did in 2021 is not gonna cut it. What does he say? He says, remember who you are. He says, remember who you are. And look at what he says in verse, um, in verse 19. So flee sexual immorality, why? Or do you not know 
that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. You go ahead and put, there you go. That's our, this is not a picture of dancing cigarettes. When we, through the new high priest who offers the new and better sacrifice, enter into God's presence through faith in Jesus Christ, something amazing happens. Not only do we get unlimited, not only do we get a season pass to the tabernacle, to the most holy place, when you enter into God's presence through the blood of Jesus, you're transformed and you turn into the temple. This is what it says. The temple was basically just a permanent tabernacle. The same idea, you know, veil, curtain, go through it to get to God's presence. The same thing. And so this is, this, I don't know if this makes sense or not. These are, these are supposed to be tabernacles. <laughs> that when, when you enter into God's presence through the blood of Jesus, through faith in him, you become the tabernacle. So it says, do, do you not know? Gosh, if, you, if you're struggling with sexual immorality, it's because you need to remind yourself who you are. Do you not know? that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? So there's the way of the garden, there's the way of the tabernacle, and finally there's the way of Christ. There's the way of Christ, which tells us you don't need to worry about getting kicked out. You don't need to worry about getting kicked out. Ruby does not need to worry about getting kicked out of our family. That is not gonna happen. Nothing can make that happen. You don't need to worry about getting in because you are in. In fact, not only are you in, it's inside of you. So wherever you go, it's not just like, okay, you know, I messed up, gotta go back to the tabernacle. No, wherever you are, if you're like, God, help me. Well, God's right here. <laughs> so he hears. <laughs> He's always with you. You don't have to worry about getting kicked out. You don't have to worry about getting in. The way of Christ says, God has made you a holy son or daughter of King Jesus. And the more you start to wrap your mind around that, something amazing happens. You start to act like it. You start to say, oh my, this is, this is the, this, this isn't just some, you know, worthless kind of meat puppet, pleasure monkey, whatever you wanna, you know, just kind of ball of meat floating through space with consciousness. That's not what this is. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't wanna leave trash in the temple of the Holy Spirit. I wanna use the temple of the Holy Spirit to glorify God. And this is what we talked about in our identity series a few, a few months ago. When you start, every problem is a problem, is an identity issue, Right? If you start to see God rightly, you start to see yourself rightly. If you start to see yourself rightly, you start to see the world rightly. If you start to see the world rightly, you start to do what? You start to flee sexual immorality. You start to read your Bible, not because you're afraid of getting kicked out or afraid you won't be able to get in, but because you wanna spend time with your father because he loves you. You start sharing your testimony with your neighbors and praying for your neighbors, not because that's what a good Christian does and you don't want people to think you're not a good Christian, do you? But because this is the best message in the world. How could I not tell people about it, right? It starts to change the way you live. 
And when we, so I'm going to talk, I know I'm, we're getting close on time, but just a couple more minutes. So this is an example for me. So a couple weeks ago, well, last week, I was feeling really anxious. I was feeling really stressed out. And this is an example of what to do when you, when you realize, oh gosh, I've been living in fear, I've been living in shame, I've been living in the way of the tabernacle or the way of the garden. What do you do? How do you, how do you make that, how do you turn that corner to start living in the way of Christ, okay? And it's something that many of you have heard me talk about a lot, which is called spiritual breathing, right? This is an example of spiritual breathing in my own life recently, real quick, and then we'll, then we'll finish. So I was feeling anxious about some different stuff, you know, nothing big, but just feeling anxious, and like so often happens, um, that I, I, was, I was taking that out on my, on my family. <laughs> you know, and I'm not proud of that, obviously, like, but, but I was being impatient with my, with my family. We, we were in the car, we were driving, and I was being impatient, I was being impatient with Lindsay. Well, nothing, you know, horrible or terrible, but just being impatient. And I knew I was being impatient, but I really knew I was being impatient because when we were almost to the place we were going, Valerie says, Daddy, are you being impatient with Mommy again? I was like, yes. <laughs> and, and, and I was. So, okay, in that moment, what are my options? Okay, so the way of the garden, if anybody finds out about this, they're not gonna let me be a pastor anymore. Okay, the way of the tabernacle. This isn't good enough. I've gotta go read some more books. I've gotta, I don't know, I've gotta grip my teeth more. I've gotta try harder. Don't ever let yourself say that again. You, do you want your daughters to grow up with, you know, with all this baggage and stuff? You, you, better, you better start doing better. The way of Christ. You come before God and you confess. You say, God, I wasn't acting like the tabernacle. I wasn't acting like the temple. I, I, was, I was sinning. I was impatient with my wife. I was, I was sinning against you. I was sinning against her. And second of all, this is the key, this is the key thing is you thank God. You thank God, you say, God, thank you that you've already forgiven me. Thank you that this isn't me standing on the outside of the tabernacle thinking, oh, I might not be able to get in. I was impatient with my wife. But this is me as the tabernacle with the Holy Spirit inside of me thinking, God, that's not the way I wanna live. But thank you that you love me and you're here with me no matter what. Thank you that you accept me just like I accept my daughter Ruby. And third, to ask Jesus for help, to boldly approach the throne of grace with what? With confidence. Not, okay, if I can do better for a week, then I can go to, no. With confidence to receive grace and mercy to help in time of need, right? Because if we know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more is our heavenly father when we come to him and we say, God, I wanna, I haven't been being loving towards my wife. I haven't been, you know, whatever it is. God, I, I, I can't, if I try on my own, I'm just gonna screw up again. But I know you're here to help me. So I need you through the Holy Spirit to empower me, take away my impatience and give me love. Take away my you know, my, my, whatever it is, and just give me, give me compassion, give me patience. I need you to do that through me. You better believe God hears prayers like that. And he loves to do that because when we, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit starts to work through us 
And that's when people see our changed lives and they glorify our Father who's in heaven. So I encourage you today, sometime, really anytime, take a few minutes and just remember these, these, remember these three steps. Confess, thank, and then ask. And that's all it takes to continue to allow the power of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you to continue working through you. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you and whatever we came in the door this morning hoping that we could do to make 2022 different from 2021, um, we can't do it. We can't do it on our own. And we thank you that you love us anyway. And I ask that we would be a people characterized not by, not by how we grit our teeth and, and suck it up and do stuff when we don't want to, but characterized by people who are experiencing your love and your forgiveness and your power and whose lives are being transformed because of it. I pray for myself and each of my brothers and sisters here. Please show us any sin that's in our lives that's, that's preventing us from having from experiencing the power and the joy that you want to give us. Remind us of, our, of who we are in you and give us power to do what only you can do through us. In Jesus' name, amen.